0: are listening to the elephant in the room podcast with your host sutta singh each week we will bring you a diverse range of inspiring speakers on issues of inequality and inequity you will hear stories about fairness justice belonging and about best practice for creating a more inclusive workplace so if you are an individual or leader interested in a fairer equitable, compassionate society and workplace, this podcast is for you. My guest on the Elephant in the Room podcast this week
1: is Jihan Haidt, the founder and CEO of Communique and ESG Consultancy. Hey Jihan, thank you for being a guest on the Elephant in the Room podcast today. And thank you for making time to come here today.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Siddha, for having me. What a pleasure. I've been such a fan of your podcast so it is surreal that I'm in it right now so thank you.
1: Brilliant so let's get started with the questions. First off could you introduce yourself and share your background your education perhaps?
2: So hi everyone Um, I'm Jihan and I'm originally from Sudan however I am based in the UK at the moment. If I am to introduce myself from a human point of view I am known amongst my friends and peers to be very curious, very bold and very, how do I say it, courageous, if that makes sense. I am a risk taker by nature and I am not scared of trying new things. Other than known as these three traits, I am also the founder and CEO of a consultancy called Communique. We are an environmental, social, and governance, in other words, ESG consultancy. We specialize in ESG communications and ESG business model reshaping. Our job and our purpose, if you may, is to help you all who wants to navigate the world of ESG, which is going to be the new reality, to help you to do it in a very easy way and a very simple way but that would result in the most impactful way as well. That's an amazing introduction.
1: And I love the fact that you're a risk taker. It's not often that we hear from women that they are risk takers. So amazing. Uh, I understand that you have decades of experience working on change communications for global organizations. So when you decided to launch a consultancy, why did you decide to focus on ESG?
2: Okay, before I say anything about the why, did I do that? I will tell you more about when did I do that? How about that? Let's start with that. So yes, you're absolutely correct. I do have 20 years under my belt when it comes to marketing and uh, internal communications roles. And the majority of the roles, I was always the lead in the department in doing all of these change projects, whether it was with HSBC, Barclays, BP, for example, uh, Philip Morris, the WHO and the list goes on. But then when the pandemic hit, I was angry. I got really angry, angry with myself, angry with my peers and angry with the uh, society that I'm living in in the UK and the employers as well. The reason I was angry is because, so as I said, I am from Sudan. So, and I am married to someone whose job requires us to leave the UK every three years and then come back to it. So, it was extremely difficult to find roles when I came back to the UK, despite the fact I've always worked in multi global organizations when I was abroad. But the UK employers just didn't see it as a positive move. And instead they couldn't put me in a box. So I was never able to be placed in a box. So when COVID hit, I faced the same problem. Employees wanted to put me in the box, but they didn't know how. I have a marketing background with PR work involved and internal communication. So they didn't know which box they should put me in. So that made me super angry. The other thing as well is the beauty about the UK is that it has the most intelligent communication professionals you will find in the world. It's a small community. And if you disappear from the community for a couple of years, you are forgotten by the community. So every time I used to come back to the UK, I used to have to prove myself again and submit my expertise again and again and again. And I don't need to do that. I have nothing to prove. So that was the second reason I was angry. The third reason I was angry is because if it wasn't for George Floyd incident, the sad incident and the Me Too movement, I was always disregarded as a candidate purely because of my name and my ethnicity, even though they wouldn't have a clue what my ethnicity is. You would not know who I am from my name. But I always felt that something was stopping me from getting these high roles, and I couldn't put my finger on it. So these are the three reasons why I was super angry during COVID. I mean, I was always angry about it. But as I said to you before we recorded, I am not known to focus a lot on the negatives. I'm very optimistic. I'm an optimistic character. I focus extremely on my work. I am as a hawk when it comes to work. But when it comes to the social aspect, I'm extremely absent-minded when it comes to these things. So uh, COVID allowed me to sit back and and think deeply about it. And this is when I decided to, you know what, enough is enough, and I have to create a company. And what I didn't tell you in the introduction is that we're a team at the moment of nine, and the majority of us are from underdeveloped countries and underrepresented communities. And the reason I chose to do that, so my business model is all about allowing my fellow communication professionals who are like me from underdeveloped countries to have a platform. So they come in, they help me develop the work for our clients, but then they can actually use that as a case study towards their portfolios and CVs. So, you know, in other words, I do not judge them according to whoever background or whatever uh, ethnicity they're from. Because even if you're a junior, even if you're still starting out, you're more than welcome to join Communique and I will train you and mentor you because that's my passion. And I will prepare you as a communication professional to deal with the developed world because the way the developed world operates and works and the mindset is completely different than the Arab world, for example. So my job is to prep you as a communication professional. So that was why I created Communique. Why did I decide on ESG? Basically, it's because I got introduced to it during my time in BP without realizing that I had been communicating elements of the E, the S, and the G throughout my career. But I never realized it was called ESG. ESG, You know, so it made no sense for me to deviate from my passion and it made no sense to follow whatever everyone else is doing. So what I did is I looked into it. I upskilled myself. So I spent two years studying profusely and taking numerous certificates. So I can understand what it really entails. I don't want to be the technical expert. I'm not the one who's going to physically calculate your carbon emission. I am the one who's going to ask you, why do you want to calculate your carbon emission? And what is the benefit behind it when you do that? What are you planning to do with that? So this is why I decided to pivot and focus on ESG internal communications but also, when I got introduced to it properly and upskilled, I also realized, gosh, I really need to play my part. It's a threat. It's going to be a reality. And I want to be ahead of the curve. I want to be ahead of my peers. I want to spot the gap and I want to do it. I'm sure you would relate to it as well, where our parents would instill the value of money in us, instill the value of thinking differently. So that's what my parents have done to me is rather than giving me a Barbie, I used to follow my father in, and, and shadow him in his board meetings, for example. So this is where the entrepreneurial mindset came along. And this is where I said, you know, I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to create it. But, yeah, it opened new possibilities for me. It opened new passions. I didn't realize I was so passionate about the planet until I looked into it deeper. And this is why we decided to go and uh, try our luck at becoming a B Corp certified. We're in our last uh, process. We have got it. We're just waiting for the final approvals. And if I'm not mistaken, I have been told that we are the first Arab Black female founded consultancy to ever be certified. Yeah. Yes. So I'm really, really pleased with that. Really pleased with that. That's a,
1: such an inspiring story. And I did read about your B Corp that you had applied for it. So the E and G in ESG are better defined than S because, you know, environmental concerns have been around for quite some time and there's been a lot of work done in it. Similarly on governance, but companies are still struggling with what does the S mean? And especially since the last two years, what does it actually mean?
2: You're absolutely right. I think Greta Thunberg has a lot to be thanked for when it comes to the E. The E is very defined and it's clear. What's not clear about the E is how would you get the data? So that's what's not clear yet. And people were still trying out different ways. The G is definitely absolutely defined because of the regulations and the regulators and the reporting side. So that's fine. The S is a bit unclear purely because it was never the forefront of organizations' mind. The only reason it's now becoming at the forefront, again, it's because of the Me Too movement and the Black Lives Matters movement. So COVID has a lot to answer for in a positive way when it comes to the S. So what does the S entail? The S is basically, it's everything to deal with how an organization handles its relationship with its stakeholders and shareholders. So think of it this way, any human interaction or human impact an organization will have on its people, on its society, on its economy would be the S. So some elements will include employee well-being, gender pay gap, for example. It will also include community work or charity work in the communities. It will include diversity, equity and inclusion within a workplace. So it's the human aspect of how we operate as an organization. And that's how the S really is defined. Okay. So ESG, like you discovered
1: that, oh, I've been working on it. For some time, I just didn't call it ESG, but still we find that organizations, not only in developing countries, but across the world, are actually struggling to come to grips with ESG communications. How important is it and why is it this important to communicate about it?
2: Communication is very, very important for organizations because it's the mechanics that would help an organization define and shout how they are implementing and saving people and planet. So the reason communication is key is because without communication, a company will not be ahead of the curve from its competitors. It will not stand out for its customers, and it will not be an investable business. And these are the three reasons why organizations focus a lot on communicating ESG. But the other reason is also the pressure that organizations are facing when it comes to ESG reporting and ESG uh, embedding within their business model. So I'll give you some stats to show you why communication is super important. So for example, 76% of consumers around the world said that they will not buy a product that does not showcase how it is sustainable. So 76%, that's a huge number, okay? 53% of revenues. Another one, this is my favorite. One out of five companies who are small to medium organizations are using ESG as a standard. One in five, okay? Three out of four are currently linking their purpose to their sustainability efforts. So great work is being done when it comes to ESG. So why not shout about it? And that's why communication is key. Communication helps you protect your reputation. It also helps you put yourself ahead of the curve. But be aware, there is good communications and there are bad communications. So, Jihan, is
1: ESG the new fad? It was corporate responsibility. It is corporate social responsibility. There is sustainability. Now there's ESG. And is it taking away attention from more important business resilience issues? You know, who did we hear the corporate affairs director from one of the companies talking about it recently?
2: And I think he's lost his job. For those of you who don't know what the story is, this person is, if I'm not mistaken, he's the head of the ESG arm for HSBC, or at least one of them. Yeah. And in his speech that he was presenting, he said that there are a lot of nutcases, i.e. crazy people out there who are speaking about climate change. Automatically, when he said that, he got attacked because... It's not about crazy people talking. It's the reality. We have data to prove that we are going to lose this world if we don't act fast. So he went on the huge attack, and as a result, he lost his job. But again, there's also an attack against his comms team because they're saying, "Why you, as the communications team, you would have seen his deck. Yeah. You would have. You would have read his notes. Why did you not stop it? Yeah. Why did you not highlight?" the language that you're going to be using. And again, language plays a huge role when you're communicating ESG, because ESG as a topic is a very technical topic. It's a very dry topic. And not everyone can relate to it. So if you're living, for example, let's say in Sudan, you won't be affected as much with the climate change as much as you would be if you were in Madagascar, for example. And if you have been, you're oblivious to it because it's not something we're thinking about at the moment because we're too busy from a civil war point of view. So when you talk to Sudanese and you say, oh, yeah, yeah, the world is ending, climate change, they're going to look at you and say, what are you talking about? Yeah. I don't care. I just want to survive. I don't even have water to drink in my country. Yeah. So you have to be very careful when you are communicating ESG to make it a localized communication and, and to make it relatable. And this is why sometimes a lot of people do think it's a fad and it's just a trend. I personally don't think so. I can see the term ESG disappearing. I can see that. But I can't see the elements within each one of them disappearing. In my opinion, this is going to be our new reality. And this is why I joke a lot when I try to pitch from Unique. I sometimes say, oh, yeah, we help you navigate your new reality. (laughs) because it is the new reality whether we like it or not it is coming our way and it's not going anywhere
1: Yeah, that's true this is so interesting so in a recent podcast that i listened to you spoke about the triple top line and i want to talk about it what does it mean and what is the linkage to esg
2: okay So the podcast that you heard me speak in, it was by a Lithuanian incubator accelerator called Catalyst Ventures. And as a disclaimer, I'm one of their mentors. So what they do is they help technology companies, they help incubate them and accelerate them and help them go to market. And I'm actually the only one who is mentoring them on ESG communications. Catalyst Ventures, the reason they're really big and well-known in Lithuania is because they came up with a new concept called triple top line. So for those of you who are not aware of triple top line, I will tell you why I should ask this question. So there is this triple bottom line. A triple bottom line is the well-known business model that helps businesses to not only focus on profit but also focus mainly on people and planet along with profit because previously companies they served the shareholders now, their focus is completely shareholder focus and sales and growth focus but then in the 80s a new concept came up and that was mainly the focus on you no know, Profit is important, but you won't get profit if you don't have the right people in place and if you don't focus on planet. So this is where the triple bottom line model came to life. Triple top line is mainly rather than just focusing on the operational side of a company and how they operate to focus on business and people on planet. It also looks at how do you manufacture your products as well to be sustainable. So for example, your company and all your operations, so from your workplaces, from your employee rights, from your governance, you're doing everything right according to, to, according to the standards of becoming sustainable. The one part that a company never used to do is actually to look at the ingredients and the way they manufacture products to make it also sustainable. They would look at elements of the product, but they wouldn't tie it with the journey from the beginning to the end. Does that make sense, Souda? Yeah, yeah, it does. So this is where triple top line comes in. It factors in the products and the services that an organization provides as part of your sustainability journey as well. And this is where the triple top line came into place. It's very interesting. So the idea is we've
1: already alluded to it when I spoke about ESG as a fad. But the idea is that if you talk sustainability or if you're spending too much time talking about ESG, that you're going to be impacting or sacrificing the company's returns. You know, the business's profit. This is clearly not... True. Like, I think some of us who are already on board of this whole idea, we don't believe this to be true. But for comms professionals, how do you convince your leadership and C suite that this is important to communicate? And this is not only important to communicate, it is also important to embed within the organization.
2: There are several ways you can do that. First of all, my optimistic mind is saying you don't need to convince them because. They're already going to be pressured by the investors and the regulators to do that. But realistically, if you really want to convince your leadership team to focus on ESG and focus on communicating it, you need data with you to support your argument. You can't go to a C-suite and say to them, oh yeah, I have a feeling that the employees want us to talk about ESG. That's not going to work. But if you go to them and say, listen, and this is part of our services that we provide, because it's not something that's easily done, unfortunately. Communication professionals, if they want to win this argument, they need to scan the horizon. They need to look into what their competitors are doing in their sectors. They need to look at what the regulators want from them within the sectors. They need to ask the employees, what do they expect of the organization? and they need to ask the customers what do they want from the organization when it comes to ESG. Once you gather this data, then you can go to the C-suite and say, we've done our research and our due diligence. We cannot not talk about or explain what we're doing in this space. So data and a plan yeah, that makes sense. Data is the starting point. So, you know, at the
1: very start, you mentioned that ESG is a highly technical field if you're looking at the accreditation process, etc. But what level of skills do comps professionals need to develop in order to be able to provide counsel to their clients or to the
2: organization? The skills that they need to do is the skills that I had. I think if the communication professionals all my peers have done or do what I have done, I think they're in a good place. And basically what I started with is I started looking at and understanding what is ESG, watching a lot of YouTube films and webinars about ESG. And then once I got hooked into it and once I understood, okay, this is really something that I'm interested in, this is where I went and invested my time, not money, my time, In certificates. So, for example, Coursera, they offer free certificates or free courses that are very useful and very, very introductory level. And this is where I I started attending several of the university's courses to understand. As communication professionals, we do not need to be the technical experts. It's not our job to be that, but it is our job and our role to understand some of it not extensively so that we get blinded by it and then forget to think curiously so what i've been told about is that people admire my curiosity they always say you always ask questions and even though sometimes we feel that you know the answer you still ask the question and you never you are never you never take anything for granted If you want to be accredited and if you really want a deep dive in ESG, uh, there are are several courses as well that's offered by the Chartered Institute of Marketing and the Chartered Institute of Public Relations in the UK. I'm part of both, so I offer training courses on both of them. But as I said, we are not the technical experts. We We are not required to be ones as well. Yeah, that's true.
1: How integral is an understanding of
2: ESG for internal comms teams? It is extremely integral because so I, even though my background is marketing, my true passion lies in internal comms. Hmm. The reason why is because I think internal comms are one of the most important part of the communication process. We are known to be the voices and the eyes and the conscience of the organization. So for us to to claim that and and to acclaim that, we have to understand what our employees want from us and from the organization and where the organization is heading. If we don't understand ESG, whereas, by the way, the Gen Zers and the millennials are way ahead of us when it comes to the knowledge, and the data that they know about it, it will be almost as if they are speaking Chinese and I am speaking Japanese, for example. And I will be designing campaigns for communication for employees that won't resonate with them. So this is why internal communications are integral, because they also help leadership teams' vision come to life when it comes to ESG. They help marketing in testing their messages before they go to market. because one thing i think that people don't realize is that your employees are your customers are your uh, advocates but they're also your investors so they're the best people who you should be testing your messaging before it goes live That's something that people need to think deeply about. What would
1: you say are the biggest challenges around ESG communications? Are people thinking that, oh, this is easy, we'll do it as a side thing, or when you have your sustainability report, perhaps, and then you do some communications around it?
2: There are several challenges. I'll focus on top three for now. The first challenge is the lack of accurate data to back up the claims that we should be communicating, which puts us in a place where we risk greenwashing. And for those of you who don't know what greenwashing is, it's basically when an organization claims to be sustainable or people on planet focused, but their claims are actually not true or has several gaps that needs to be filled before claiming it, basically so think about it as being green from the outside, but rotten from the inside as an organization. So that's what greenwashing is. And greenwashing occurs when the data is not accurate. And because ESG and ESG measurement is a new thing, we're still testing it. We're still trying to figure out what aspect and what data to collate. It will risk that. So that's the first challenge. Okay. the second challenge is there's a lot of jargon a lot of acronyms that are within the E, the S, and the G. So for you to take time and decipher that, that takes a lot of time. And the third challenge is the lack of knowledge and not understanding what you're communicating. And that goes back to upskilling yourself as a communication professional. So mm-hmm. these are, in my opinion, are the three challenges.
1: Yeah, I think those three are I think the most important ones. And comms professionals really need to think about it strongly and see how they can come to grips with it. So we are the last question. And before we close, I want to ask you this. What or who inspires you and what is the best thing about your job?
2: So I really thought deep and mighty about that. Uh, Because you're not the first one to ask me that. And there are so many people who do inspire me, so many people. But I think I'm going to be cheesy a little bit and say my mother inspires me. And for those of you who don't know my story, so my mother was widowed when she was 32 years old. And she had four children to raise. One of them is deaf and has a minor cerebral palsy. So being a single mom in an Arabic world, Caring for a uh, special needs child was not easy back in the 90s. And it was really difficult, really, really difficult. But you will never see my mom not smiling. You will never see my mom not pushing us and, uh, to do our best. So I think from a personal point of view, it's my mother. Wow. And what do you I like, like about, about your job? What do I like about my job? I like the variety of the job. I'm never bored. I am never bored because I meet beautiful individual and human beings like yourself and other individuals who I learn from every day. For me, genuinely, every day is a school day. And I listen to different challenges that organizations are facing, different challenges that human beings are facing. And sometimes I just sit back and say, I'm actually really thankful for my life and for my work. Because if I didn't, take that risk and, and found communique, I wouldn't be speaking to you, for example, so that, you know, so for me, that's what I love about my work is the variety and the lessons learned every day.
1: Wow, that's so amazing. It resonates with me. Thank you so much, Jihan, for making time for this wonderful conversation. Thank you for being here
2: today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for joining us this week on the Elephant in the Room podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on any of your favorite platforms. iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast. And if you enjoyed listening to the podcast today, don't forget to write a review and tell your friends. Sign up on the link in the show notes to receive updates on our guest speakers, blogs and events. And don't forget to tune in every Thursday for new episodes.